You're listening to the Viva La Mami podcast, a podcast about all things motherhood. I'm your host, Jessica Cuevas. I am a mother of one on a mission to redefine the meaning of motherhood as a first-generation, bilingual, and bicultural Latina mommy. Regardless if we feel like a failure from time to time, or if we succeeded with the little things in our motherhood journey, it is important to celebrate all of these experiences as madres. So bring your cafecito as I invite you to be a part of this space and create raw and honest conversations about the exciting and challenging parts of being a mommy. Ahora, vámonos. Hola, hola, amiga. Many of us have gone through some sort of dissonance between our identity as Latinas and mainstream culture where oftentimes out of survival, we had to assimilate. How can we heal from assimilation? How can we reclaim our culture back even if we have been forced to assimilate? On this week's VLM Spotlight episode, we are welcoming Karina Mora, who shares her devotion of helping people reclaim their cultura so they can empower future generations to live their most authentic selves. Karina Mora is a professional photographer, speaker, podcaster, and homeschool mommy. She is devoted to helping people reclaim their cultural legacies as she elevates her Mexican culture through photography, guided trips to Mexico, and her podcast, Elevating La Cultura. She works to bridge past generations to the next generations by reclaiming her cultural legacy, while also shifting the narrative in how she pours into her own children. She currently lives in Chicago with her two kids and husband, where they just purchased a building where they can host workshops, small events, and various creative projects that elevate the importance of cultural legacy. If you've ever been forced to assimilate in the U.S. and are now wanting to find ways to reclaim your cultura, I invite you to listen to this VLM Spotlight episode with Karina Mora. She is a testament of how one can move past assimilation in order to reclaim their cultural legacy. Now, here is my interview with Karina Mora. Hola, hola, Karina. ¿Cómo estás? Hi, I'm so happy to be here and talking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I am so excited for you to be here as well. I've been following you for a very long time and... We have somewhat of a connection through the Chicago Latina Moms Network, which is a wonderful community based in the Chicagoland area for Latina moms. But I am very honored for you to be here just because you have a lot of wisdom to share when it comes to just really understanding who we are as Latina moms. How can we advocate for ourselves, for others, and how can we educate others as well as it relates to our identity, assimilation, and how we can pave the way for our generation. And so there's a lot to cover here. I definitely want to allow the time and the space for us to chat and conversate more about that. But before we delve into the conversation, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, I am Karina. I'm a photographer, podcaster, speaker, and I'm a homeschool mom. I do all of those things. And every time I introduce myself, like I am also surprised by 
everything that I do, but I mean, I take it day by day and I try to balance all of those things and do them well. And I'm doing it all for the sake of my children and empowering the next generation. Yes, that is awesome. And can you tell us a little bit more about what you did before you became a mom and how that shifted over to a new kind of journey or beginning of your own? For sure. You know, when I was a kid, I am the oldest in my family. And so I was kind of put in charge of my sister. She's four years younger. And growing up, I never thought that I would be a mom or desire to have kids. And so as I was growing up and going to school, I poured myself into my studies, you know, as the first person to like go to higher education in my family, like I, that was my job. That was my goal to get into a good college, to graduate and have a degree and kind of follow the American dream path. And I say that in air quotes, the American dream path. Yes. Um, so that is what I did. I went to university. I did everything to make my parents proud. I graduated and I decided I didn't want to use the degree in the way that I got it. So I went to a liberal arts college and went more for creative arts. And so I studied music, I studied graphic design, radio broadcasting, videography, photography. It was like a whole major that I kind of got to put together. And it was all like, when I graduated, I was like, I don't know. Like I can do a lot of things, but I don't know specifically what I want to do. So I ended up working for my father. He is an entrepreneur and kids were really not on my mind. Like I was like, I'm going to continue working and seeing how far ahead I can get. And once I got married, like we both didn't like anticipate wanting kids, but you know, one day we're just like, maybe it wouldn't be so much of a big deal to start thinking about maybe having kids. And so once that little seed was planted, we were like, let's just see where it goes. And sure enough, I had my daughter. And at that time, I was already starting to build our wedding photography business. So I had already started paving the way into entrepreneurship and I think I, we were like two years into building our business when I got pregnant and had my my daughter my first she is now going to be 12 in a few weeks wow. and so <laughs> so awesome. it, yeah it was it was a way that I didn't know like that life would go for me but you know I saw my father being able to like be his own boss, be an entrepreneur, pour into other people and their lives. And I wanted that. And I also saw my mother who is a stay at home mom and like poured herself into raising her kids. And I wanted that too. So this whole time I was like, okay, 
I can dive into entrepreneurship and I'm going to be a mom. Like, let's see how this is going to work and let's do it. And so after I had my first, it was two years after that, that I had my second. And all the while I was slowly growing our business and trying to figure out how to, how to do it all and how I wanted to design our lives so that I could do both essentially. Yes. And that kind of leads to the next question. And you started out with your introduction as far as with who you are. You're not just a mother, but you are an entrepreneur. You're a photographer, podcaster. You're also a speaker. And like you said, a homeschool mom, like how do you do it all? And like, what is your motivation? I just think that that is so inspiring. So tell me more. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, it's, it's funny because it is a lot and, you know, life kind of goes up and down where sometimes something will take a priority and then another month goes by and something else is taken a priority. And I have realized like, even as I am being more vocal about my journey, have realized that I have had the freedom to kind of design my life the way that I want to, because I chose entrepreneurship and I, no, I don't say that lightly because it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work to build a business out of nothing. And it is hard work to homeschool your kids. And I could not do it without the support of my partner, my husband. He, when we got married, he knew how driven I was. He knew that I was going to be able to work on my own, that I was going, that I was never going to be like satisfied just being home. And I wasn't like, he knew that I wanted to emulate both of my parents because I appreciated what they both instilled in the values that they instilled in my life. And so because of that, like I have, I'm so thankful to have his support and I could not do it without, without that. So I think like my support system has been a huge blessing, a huge reason as to why I can do and have my hand in all these things. With that said, I know that like, I didn't want to lose myself, like me as a person, when, just because I decided to choose motherhood. It was really important to me to not just take on the, the, the role of mom and do nothing else. So I always wanted to design my life to balance both and to hold space for both. And I think, I mean, it takes work. It takes a lot of juggling in order to do that. But I think it gets a little easier the more that you settle into a good rhythm. And, you know, with school, like it, it does change year by year. And as they get older, we add things in. But I think that's where I take time to sit down and see what the values of my family are that year, what we want to prioritize that year and how we're going to fit all the pieces and make it work. And I do talk to my my kids and we we talk about it as a whole family that we are all working towards something and this is the goal. And so we need to support each other in our dreams, in our vision, in our goals for the year. I love that. 
mostly because as mothers, we tend to keep it everything behind closed doors, our feelings, our planning. And I love how you are involving your children in the process. That way you yourself don't have to carry all of the mental load, right? Of like the logistics, the planning, you know, even the reassessing of things. And I'm glad that you have this open communication with them because they are also involved, not just in their day-to-day -day lives, but also it's like they're involved in your motherhood, in your mothering, which is awesome. I love it. And I don't think I would have been able to get there as quick, like mentally, as quickly as I did if it weren't for me homeschooling them. Mm. I think mm -hmm. that is a huge part of how like me choosing to homeschool them was in part because I had a wedding photography business and I was working on the weekends and during the summers and I would go to networking events in the evening and client meetings in the evening and so I was like if I continue doing this I'm not going to see them when they go into school mm -hmm. so I might as well just try and start seeing if I can home, do this homeschool thing. And as they get older, we'll take it year by year. But my homeschooling decision essentially came because I wanted to build this business that I knew was going to be during the time that I would essentially be home with them on a typical day. And so as I've continued homeschooling and as I've shifted and pivoted my business, I've also kept in mind those two priorities like okay I want to continue homeschooling so how can I have my business fit around that and how can my business like support what I'm doing with homeschooling and so through me homeschooling I've also been able to have a closer contact and closer connection and more conversations with my kids mm -hmm. and realized it was actually like conversations with my kids help me realize the traumas that I had to heal from in order to support them as my children. And if I wanted to continue doing the things that like I didn't agree with, but that, that was the only thing I knew as far as discipline, like I had like early on had a lot of hard conversations with myself mm -hmm. on how I wanted to shift and change the trajectory of like mental health of what it means to be a mom and what it means to be a business owner and that all came because I wanted to do both I wanted to hold on to the things that my father instilled in me and like taught me and I also wanted to be there like my mother was for her kids yes I love how it's like you didn't lose yourself, like, or you had to sacrifice for one thing or the other, like you found ways and you were very creative in finding ways to like manage both in terms of how homeschooling would work for your business and vice versa. And oftentimes we have this deficit mindset where we just think that we cannot do it all or we cannot like we think it's impossible to manage more than one things, especially once we become moms. And, and that's something that I've definitely struggled with, with my new identity as a mother, 
you know, and with my profession, which is higher education, how do I manage it all? And so I really appreciate you opening up to this because I think it allows an opportunity for those that are struggling like myself to really find creative ways and different outlets than the standard. Well, you have mentioned that you reclaim your culture and share about the beauty of your Mexican heritage with other people. Was there something that kind of inspired you or even triggered you to teach people about your identity? Because I think this is so powerful. Yes, there was actually a wedding that I photographed that triggered me into letting go of my wedding photography business and pivoting completely. So I'll start out by saying that I was raised in the suburbs of Chicago. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. I went to predominantly white schools. I then went to a predominantly white college and was always surrounded by people that didn't necessarily have the same lived experiences as I did. And so I grew up being one person but at home and being another person to everyone else. I mm -hmm. learned really quickly how to become this token Latina in classes. I was told like, oh, well, you speak so well and, and you're doing so well. And it was always like, wow, you are in these advanced classes. And so I played into that because I was like, well, I'm getting recognition. Might as well, like I'm doing something right. I'm making my family proud. And so I continued in that, that direction. I was very fortunate to go to a four-year university, but I did everything that I could to get scholarships because I knew that my father was helping me achieve that goal. And so I did what I could. I got diversity grants or I, I did all the things that I was told that I should do. And I grew up hearing microaggressions and racist comments, but I didn't know them as microaggressions or racist comments because I am a millennial. I grew up in the 90s and that was when everyone was saying like, oh, we don't see color. Like we don't talk yeah. about that stuff. Like, so I learned how to fit in a box and I learned how to make people comfortable around me. And so that is how I knew how to build a business. I tried to play the part. I tried to get the high-end clients. I was on the North side and predominantly white networking spaces. I did everything I could and I wasn't like attaining the same quote unquote success as my peers. And I was like, oh man, I just need to try harder. And then I had this one wedding. It was at the height of my career. I had built our business to be booked as much as we wanted to be booked. We had started to make a profit in our business. At this point, I already had my two kids. I was working hard to make a name for our business in the wedding scene here in Chicago. And so this one wedding was on May 5th. And so mm. you can already tell it was, it started out okay. You know, I took pictures and then as we're going to the reception, 
the dollar store sombreros came out, those glasses, happy Cinco de Mayo came out and everyone's like, oh, shots, tequila. And I was just like, oh my goodness. And you know, I had to play along and I had to be like, haha, so funny. And uh, I photographed that wedding and kind of just like blacked out. And when I went home, I was like, what just happened? And I, as I was editing the photos, like I didn't even want my kids to come in the room and to see that. And I was like, just kind of like asking myself, how did I get here? How is it that they felt comfortable enough to appropriate my culture in front of me? And where was the disconnect of all of this? Like, how how did we get here, essentially, is what I was asking myself. And it was that pivotal wedding that I was like, if I don't do something, then my kids are going to have to deal with the same things. And so that is when I took, like, a sabbatical. I went to Mexico, and it was the first time I went to Mexico without my family. So usually I will visit my family and have been since I was a child. Mm -hmm. We go to Guadalajara, which is where my family's from. And this trip was the first time that I went solo. I went for a workshop and it was, I went to San Miguel de Allende and Mm kind of just like took pictures and decompressed. And unfortunately in that workshop, I continued to get stereotypes and someone asked like oh you're you're latina aren't you supposed to be spicy and i was like we are in mexico like what do you mean yeah are you're talking to like and they were kind of relying on me to speak spanish and i'm like as workshop facilitators having done this for a long time i don't know why you haven't like chosen to pick up the language and I like if you can't already tell these workshop facilitators were not they were from Mexico so I was like oh man how did I get here to Mexico and am continuing to experience the same things yeah And so it was then that I was like, okay, I need to really take into consideration the the impact that I'm having and what can I do to like actually educate myself because I needed to learn, like, how did I get here? How is it that I don't have the words to stand up for myself or like tell people like you're being offensive or like I did not have the language because I did not grow up with the language. And so I'm having to educate myself. And then I also wanted to educate my followers and like the people, my friends, my family. And so that's really where the pivot happened. And I was like, let me just slow down. Let me take pictures in Mexico. Let me learn about Mexico and the specific cities and the culture and then share that with the people who are my friends who are like in community with me and then I can pass that down to my kids yes yes yeah that is very unfortunate that you had to have that experience while working for something that you love like in photography 
I'm sure that that took a lot of healing to overcome that. But I'm glad that you decided to take a break and really kind of reclaim your culture in that way about really knowing about the Mexican heritage and reflecting on your own identity, your own past, and how can you move forward in this kind of new self, really, even though you were forced to to do that. It's interesting how like us as Latinas, we live in this duality, right, of like being a certain individual in front of them, but also being another individual within our own people. And that's something that white people will never experience. They'll never code switch. They'll never have this dual life, if you will. But I'm glad that you gave yourself grace to understand who you are and how you can educate and even empower folks to to really learn more about and acknowledge our own culture and not just appropriate it, which, oh gosh, I could already imagine that wedding. <laughs> oh, yes. Man. It just got worse from the, the rest, like <gasps> on our way to the reception, like it just got worse. Oh man. <laughs> well, you know, and, and talking about our identity as first gen, second gen Latinas, and even anyone who is a part of the Latinx community, right? Some of us have gone through some level of dissonance, like where even as Latinos, we feel conflicted based off of certain experiences. Like for me, for example, something that was very like kind of <laughs> like a shock, I would say that I felt very conflicted was when I went to college. I really wanted to move forward in, in my life because that's something that was instilled in me, right? Get the Latinas. You got to receive that degree and all of that. But then once I got there, it wasn't for me going to a predominantly white institution. And I was like, well, where do I belong? And that's when I feel very conflicted, right? Like people in your circle are, at least for me, like they were pushing me to go to this like new part of your life, right? Get an education and, and be successful. But then again, when I was there, I didn't feel like home, you know, it wasn't home. And it's almost like I did this out of survival to please my parents and everyone else, because I'm also the firstborn of three daughters, but I'm also the first grandchild on my mom's side. So it's like, I had to literally pave the way for everyone behind me. And through that experience, I also had to assimilate. I had to assimilate to the majority at, at a PWI. Now, granted, I grew up in the Northwest side of Chicago. So like this part of my identity as a Latina was so strong up until I went to college. And so how can we heal from ways that we've learned to assimilate to like the mainstream American culture? I mean, I it is an lifelong process at least it has been for me but the the first thing that i did was make that choice i mean i could have just said you know what i'm going to ignore this let me just keep going and we'll see what happens so i could have ignored it i could have continued in this illusion that i had that i was just like everyone else that i could fit in the circles and like just keep pretending essentially i i could have chosen to do that and i think it's because i had kids 
that I didn't want the same duality for them. I didn't want them to experience the same things and have to shut a part of them down, themselves down in order to navigate the worlds. So I think it's first making that choice and it is hard and it is it, it you have to look at all the traumas that you have experienced and be willing to go back and go to certain experiences that you were treated with or had to navigate microaggressions or racist comments like you have to go back to those those times and think about like how did that make you feel I don't want the next generation to feel that. So I need to do the work in my life to heal and change the trajectory of, mm. of what I think. So for example, if we're looking at some of the lies that we're told, so I know, especially in uh, maybe corporate America, I've heard like, you don't want to wear like bold lipstick, red lipstick, or don't wear your hoops. And I think, I think AOC for making, like bringing that, that back and saying like, no, this is who I am. This I'm going to do this like in Washington. So that's how it is. But when I was growing up, like that wasn't a thing. I, my parents didn't want me wearing lipstick. They didn't want me wearing makeup. They didn't want me wearing like the the stuff that I feel like made me like more connected to my culture and so I had to go back and say like okay well this is one area that perhaps I was told to kind of tone down to make other people comfortable but let me think like let me go back to the store and look at the lipstick. Which one actually gets me excited or brings me joy or like, let me just try it on and like start healing from those lies. Another one is like, oh, well, as a child, I was told not to talk back, not that my opinions didn't matter. And so going back to a time where you remember those feelings and saying like, you know what? I'm an adult now. I my feelings are valid. I'm going to say what I feel and mm -hmm. actually have feelings and, and know that those feelings, even if they're perceived as negative, like if I'm angry, then I'm going to be angry and I'm going to sit in that and kind of like feel that again. Because a lot of times, especially as the oldest, I know that we're kind of made to be desensitized to our feelings mm -hmm. because we should know, quote unquote, know better. Like you don't talk back. You don't, you're not allowed to be angry. You're not allowed to be sad. So those are just two examples that are areas that we can start to heal from and to look back and say, like, acknowledge that we were believing these lies. Mm -hmm. And if we continue that with the next generation, if we continue making our kids feel bad, like their feelings don't matter, then it's only going to perpetuate this. We're not going to have growth. We're not going to break those generational traumas. And we're just going to pass those down. And we, like, as a parent, I don't want my kids to feel what I felt. And 
I'm going to do whatever I can to heal that in my own life. So that way I can help them navigate and express their feelings. And it is hard. I have a therapist that has helped me immensely. And so I am a huge advocate for therapy when you are doing this work and going through this healing journey, because it is a lot. It is very heavy. Absolutely. Yeah, I really appreciate you mentioning that therapy is so important because that can be a really good way to start to recognize any trigger moments, traumas, and really allowing yourself to go back and kind of unlearn or even relearn from those past experiences. And I think that is a great reminder for all of us to really make sure that we through this healing process, or even once we have healed from it, how do we model that to our children? As first gen, second gen mommies, who oftentimes we, we feel that we have the sense of responsibility to bridge between the generations before us and those that come after us. Like, how do we do that? And do you feel like there is a sense of responsibility for us to sort of reclaim our culture and pass it on to our kids? You have to make that decision and say like, how do I want to go about that for the next generation? And a lot of it is just like also doing it for you because just like I was told that assimilating was going to get me so far in my life and success here in America, I was doing that at the detriment of losing part of myself in that process. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that I didn't want to lose completely. So I think that as individuals, like we need to think about the legacies, the cultural legacy that we want to pass on and what that means for us. Now, I did not grow up learning how to cook. I didn't know how to cook like Mexican meals. I would only really get Mexican food if my father was cooking or my abuela would come for the summer or my tias or my cousins would visit from Mexico. And my father actually did own two Mexican restaurants here in the Chicago area at one point. And so that was the Mexican food that I would get, but I never learned how to make tortillas or arroz or what else, albondigas. Like I saw that, but I didn't learn how to make that stuff, tamales, salsas, like all those traditional foods. And so that was one way that I thought, okay, let me just start. Let me just see if I can take a workshop and learn how to make tortillas or frijoles or arroz. And I started little by little and I started introducing that food into my home and my kids would see me cooking and I'd be like, okay, taste this. What do you think? I remember eating fideo what do you think about it? And like, here, taste this pozole. Do you like it? And so it was little by little. And then as like, I got more confident in trying things, then I was like, okay, well, let's, let's add something else. Let me really dive into the history of Cinco de Mayo. Actually, I went to Mexico. I went to Puebla and I learned about the history of Cinco de Mayo because that was that one trigger wedding. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, let me just see what the actual history is so that I can tell my children 
this is what happened. And anyone, like all the advertising and marketing we see, like that's not what Cinco de Mayo is. And so that's how I started with tradition. So I started with food and kind of learning and reclaiming that part for myself and then started diving into the history. And especially because I homeschool, I was like, let's just learn about this together and let me pass that on and we and that's how like conversations around their identity and my identity and what I wanted to pass on really like those conversations started to get deeper and really take shape yeah that is awesome and it's almost like a resurgence right of like your yourself too not just like teaching your children you know, the true history, right? Especially for Cinco de Mayo. Like, I think that that is so powerful. Instead of them learning from, I don't know, like Target mm -hmm. <laughs> or whatever, you know, that they see out there nowadays, every 5th of May, like you are literally reclaiming it and be like, no, this is the true story. And, and I love it. And it does take a lot from us, right? Like we already have so many things to do right we have so much load on our plate but again like if we want to be intentional of raising kids who are aware of their identity who want to be proud of who they are it, it is a teaching moment not just for them but for ourselves and how you know they can learn the true history of our culture the true foods of our culture than just chipotle for example taco bell right oh my gosh i think it's important like for me i was also looking back to the sacrifice that my parents mm -hmm. made and the like what would happen if i didn't reclaim my cultural legacy because my father immigrated here in his teens and so he also only got a small portion of Mexican history because then he was here in the U.S. and starting to become part of like this society and so he also didn't have all of that knowledge to pass on and so I was like okay well because he did this for our family, like how am I going to continue his legacy and not have his legacy and his ancestral roots be lost? And so it was like conversation, intentional conversations with him and actually going back to Mexico with him and learning some of this stuff yeah. with him as well. That is awesome. That is so powerful. I love the intentionality that you have in offering these group trips to Mexico and throughout the year, you're offering these trips during this year in 2023. So can you kind of tell us a little bit more about your trips and who is it intended for? Yeah, so this has been in the works since before the pandemic. <sighs> since that like first trip in 2017, when I really got to experience Mexico on a different level and with more intentionality, mm -hmm. I 
wanted to bring my friends along. I wanted to bring my family. I wanted to like share this experience with people. And so I worked on traveling to Mexico, just learning more about different cities. I would collaborate with different people and take a lot of workshops. And, you know, 2020 put a a pause on all travel. And so I couldn't officially launch guided trips then, but I officially launched them last year in 2022 and worked in 2020 and 2021 with like how to navigate COVID and COVID guidelines and kind of just waited it out. But in 2022, I officially facilitated two groups to Mexico City and it was amazing great conversations I am so appreciative of everyone who came with me and I just came back from my first 2023 trip where I led a group of seven eight including me and I mean people who have come with me are all ages well I think maybe the youngest is like in their 20s and then it was like my aunt uh, was the older generation. I facilitate the trip and really take into consideration the people who are going. So I will meet with people and say like, okay, what are priorities to you? What is interesting to you? Do you want to do more food things? Do you want to do more like historical things, architectural things? Like here are some options. I think these would be great. And like we plan the trip based on who's going and the priorities of the people who are going. Some people are like, I don't care, just plan whatever. Some people are like, well, I really would like to, for example, like see the Freedom Museum, or I really want to take some cooking workshops. And so I will plan that in based on who's going. So, so far I have not taken any kids except for my own. And so I did plan a trip for them, for my family in at the end of 2021 to see how that would go with kids. And I'm open to facilitating a group for a family it'd be more of a private group unless they had like another friend that they wanted to another family friends that they wanted to plan a trip for but yeah so I have two trips this year planned in September for Mexican Independence Day and then also in October for Dia de los Muertos Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. That and I leave awesome. the rest of the year open for private group trips. That is great. And do you think the majority of the people that come along in these trips are like first gen, second gen, like kind of those that have been a little disconnected with their own cultura and they kind of want to know more? Is that usually the, the case with the majority of the folks that go with you? Yes. Yeah, so I would say first and second gen. First and second gen Latinas are the people who have most resonated with these guided trips. And the conversations have been amazing. Like, not only like are we doing a lot of stuff during the day, but then we also share meals together and are able to process what we just experienced, how we can bring this experience back to our home and what we want to do. Like, I really want people to feel a sense of pride and joy and peace when they're there and when they leave. And I want them to be encouraged that they can travel and do this on them by themselves. Yes. I mean, sometimes it's intimidating. I know as women, 
to travel by ourselves. And so I love that we get to travel as a group, but I'm also like, are you empowered to do this for yourself? Maybe you can like plan a trip with your family to show them and have them experience this alongside you as well. Yes, gosh, there's just so much beauty in Mexico. And and I haven't had the privilege of going around like La Ciudad de Mexico because we have this preconceived notion that it's not safe. That, mm -hmm. oh, no, no vayas allí porque te van a saltar and blah, blah, blah. And so I've had this negative perception of it. And the only time that we would go to La Ciudad is just like La Villita, right? <laughs> and that's basically yeah. it. But it's like the Vatican where it's everything is enclosed, you know? And, and I love how you cater it to what they're looking for, if they've been curious about visiting certain places or trying different things. I love it. I might do that without any kids though <laughs> yeah i i do find that moms do want to come but for themselves like they don't necessarily want to bring the family like this is their their me time mm -hmm. so i have had a lot of moms come and just like enjoy the week that's awesome that is great i i am pregnant right now but by October, I won't be. So I might consider that. <laughs> yes. Alrighty. Well, you are the host of Ele Elevating La Cultura, which mm -hmm. I have been following your podcast since the beginning. I think you had your first interview with Isa, maybe. Yes. Or one yeah. of your first few ones. Yeah. And so that's when I met her as, as my doula. And I was just like, oh my gosh, these women are awesome. And so... You do highlight incredible Latina women on your podcast, and they come from a variety of backgrounds and different professions. And so can you tell us a little bit more about your podcast and what inspired you to create conversations with all of these amazing women? I was inspired by my fellow Latinas in the wedding industry, because when I was slowly trying to transition out of the wedding industry, I started having conversations with a few friends of mine and saying like, hey, do you feel the same way? Is it just me? And they were like, no, we totally get the same comments. We get the same looks, like, let's talk about it. And that's when I realized that I was trying to fit into an industry that maybe wasn't built for people like with my lived experiences. They didn't, it was like, I didn't have the networks that they had. I was coming from like a completely different background. And so it was through those conversations that I was like, I wish I could have these stories and these conversations out for other people to listen to, because I'm sure that I'm not experiencing this, just me. And me talking to other people was proving that it wasn't just me. And so I was like, maybe I should start a podcast. And so actually the first season was a lot of the people that I met through the wedding industry. And from there, it just grew. So each season is a different like theme or we're talking about something different. And so, but with all of them, I 
interview first and second gen Latinas who are passionate about talking about their area of expertise and wanting to share their story so that we can empower and pour into the next generation. So I want to continue this work because I think that our stories are powerful and our stories deserve to be heard. And it just takes one person saying like, would you share your story? And for that to then be resonated across like the country, because I have been able to, because of the pandemic, I have been able to interview and technology. I've been able to talk to people across the country, Latinas doing amazing things in different states and just amplifying and connecting our networks has been amazing. Yeah, that is awesome. And I just love how intentional you are about this too with not just giving them the space to tell us more about their stories, but also like with the intention of creating generational change. And I think I read something about you, how we are paving the way for our children to love what they do, whether if it's the culinary arts or education, because of all these Latina women that are literally paving the way for them, these children can also achieve their dreams. And and we often don't hear about these stories, especially from the Latina perspective specifically. I think that's what I want for each of my guests to have the platform to share their story and we can amplify their voices for the next generation, but also give them the stage a little bit because a lot of times we're not given a stage and we don't see the value in our story until someone asks and i think everyone who i've interviewed is amazing they're amazing in what they do they are hardworking. they pour into their business or just their area of expertise their passion and i want them to have the opportunity to share that and to have that to listen back to if they do want to share their story more in the future or even just have their kids listen to it as they get older. So I do want to be able to provide that space for them individually, but also for the next generation. Absolutely. I love it. And I thank you for creating the space for these Latina women who are doing just incredible work. I even listened to like my cousin's interview from Normitas Conchas. And yeah, she she's just doing great work. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Like just like a proud cousin moment there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, I think it it does sometimes take someone asking you your story for you to also believe and hear your story back. I know sometimes we get weird to hear our own voice like in a recording, but I hope that everyone takes time to listen to their interviews because I I think everyone has value and I just love that they share their unique perspective and even advice for the next generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Well, I'm going to sh- I'm going to ask a couple Viva La Mami motherhood questions because I always ask my guests these questions. 
And so what still surprises you about being a mommy? Oh my goodness. I think every day I'm like shocked by some of the things my kids say. Sometimes they will make me laugh like I haven't laughed in a long time. And I will, I'm like, you guys are so funny. You guys are amazing. And then sometimes they will say something that is like, I remember I would get in so much trouble if I were to say the same things. But then I think back and I'm just like, what you just said was really smart and really quick. And I need to think about that. And you're right. And like, let me just process my own traumas. So I think I'm surprised. I mean, my kids are older. My daughter's going to be 12 in a few weeks. My son is going to be 10 a few weeks later. So my kids are in that preteen age. Mm -hmm. And I am just, I guess I'm surprised at how much healing I'm doing through them, especially when I look back and think like, that I didn't necessarily see motherhood as being part of my life. Mm. I am just like so thankful to have the opportunity for like to raise these kids and for them to be part of my healing journey. Yeah. Oh, I love that answer. Thank you so much for sharing that. And what is one tip of advice that you have for a Latina mommy? Some advice that I would have, especially if you are building a business and diving into entrepreneurship and also holding space for the goals and the values that you have as a mother, I would just encourage you to take it slow. A lot of times we want like our business to be at like level 10 right away. And if that's not happening. We think that we're a failure. And then that also pours into like how we're showing up as a mom. Mm -hmm. And if we are not like at like every game or at, like if we have to miss something, then we're feeling that mom guilt. And a lot of times that is hard to balance and it affects both areas of our lives. And so I just say, take each part of who you are with grace, whether that is you as an entrepreneur, you as you, your create creative self, and you as a mom, you as a friend, as a partner, like all of these are valid parts of who you are. And so take it with grace and try not to rush it. I know as millennials, like we want everything <laughs> like now when we say we want it. And I say, just like, take your time. It's going to be okay. If the pandemic taught me everything, anything, it taught me to like slow down mm. and really make sure that I'm okay. Because if I'm not okay, then it's going to affect the other areas of my life. Absolutely. Oh, that is so empowering. Thank you so much for sharing that because I know that there's many mommies out there that consider this themselves mom entrepreneurs. If that's the word, I, is that how you say it? <laughs> mom and entrepreneurs <laughs> just trying to yes. combine my words here but yeah I think it's a really good reminder thank you all right last question what is your meaning of madrehood I think it, it it's a surprise you know when you are young you have this 
vision of what motherhood should be because you see what's modeled to us. And I am surprised at what motherhood really is for me. And that is journey of healing. I have realized that there's a lot of my own inner child that needs healing. And I am just so thankful that I am open to receiving that through my kids. Yes, I love it. And where can people follow you? So my personal Instagram where I share like me as a mom, me as an Americana, figuring it all out. I'm on Instagram at Karina Mora underscore prints or KarinaMora.com. And then you can also find me on the podcast at Elevating La Cultura or ElevatingLaCultura.com. Yes, thank you. And I'll make sure to share that in the show notes as well as the direct links to your pages, especially that Mexico trip, because I think that that is a really great opportunity for us to reconnect with our cultura, but also to be a part of a community and with you as well. Once again, Karina, thank you so much for being here. It's such an honor having you here and for you to share your story because it is so empowering. So thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. It's been amazing being able to chat with you. Thank you for tuning in to the Viva La Mami podcast. If you like this episode, make sure to leave a review and write what episode really resonated with you. If you really loved it, share it on social media or with an amiga. As always, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening. Make sure to follow me at Viva La Mami on Instagram or visit vivalamami.com. Please note the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be replaced by your healthcare provider nor taken as professional advice. <laughs>